Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part one of episode number 78 of my sexy music podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, I'd like to welcome all of you to part one of episode number 78 of my sexy music podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? I'm just going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 24-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge sexy music fan. Slash expert slaster, and each week with this podcast to take one song by one artist from the sixties, split the show in two parts. First part, we're going to talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks, and do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song, plus to include the chords, melody, and lyrics. And the second part, we're going to dig deep into the history behind that track. In that part, we're going to talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, um, what studio the song was recorded at, who are the musicians in the track, whether it be the band members or the studio musicians on it. And uh, where that studio is located at, and the song label the song was released on, where that label is located at, and uh, the name of the label was released on, and the history behind the artists that did it, and uh, the peak position the song made up on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in the year and month the song was released. All that is in the second part of the show. Now, before we went on this week's episode of the podcast, I wanted to just um, quickly say to anybody who came to my last show. Um, you know, at the Hotel Cafe, my 60s tribute night, my first one I've ever done before. I want to say thank you for whoever showed up from listening to this podcast. And you guys came because you found out about it from listening to the show. Um, I apologize if I didn't get to talk to you after the show was over. Um, I had a really bad allergy attack a couple of days um, before the show. And I'm still kind of working my way through it right now. So that's the main reason why I didn't really talk to that many people after the show is over but trust me if i that didn't happen i would have definitely approached you and talked to you and been like hey how thanks for coming how did you find out about it um but yeah so um if you're listening to this episode right now and uh you were at my last show last saturday at the hotel cafe in hollywood my 60 tribute show i want to say thank you for coming out and even though i didn't get the chance to talk to you i still want to try to get to know you and try to figure out you know, what got you into this podcast, whether that be you grew up with this music back in the day or you just recently discovered it and you're around my age, um, you know, for the first time. But anyways, uh, you know, please reach out to me via email at samltwilliaicloud.com or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and just let me know, hey, uh, you know, you were at my show last Saturday and you saw it. And you, If you have any kind of feedback towards my show, um, I'd greatly appreciate that as well. But yeah, so, um, you know, I, I definitely had a good time uh, last Saturday, except the allergy attack definitely didn't, you know, definitely didn't, my voice, because of that, my voice wasn't exactly where uh, it should have been as far as the singing and talking was concerned. But yeah, so, um, also, if you guys know, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but last week I didn't put out an episode uh, because I want to take a week off for my birthday plus my allergy attack too. That's the main reason why I didn't put out an episode last week. Um, now, this week, uh, since I'm going to be at a convention this weekend, uh, music convention, uh, you know, this week's episode is going to be out a lot earlier than um, 
than it when it, when I normally put it out because I'm going to this music convention this weekend and you know I want to make sure that all the time to like release something you know instead of doing it late on Sunday you know because I mean it's a three day thing and it's going to be all day you know so I definitely want to have time to like you know really you know put something out this week um but just a heads up on what's going to happen for this podcast um one thing that will happen for episode number 80 is that I will be doing another interview episode and it's going to be with a real building songwriter from the 60s his name is Mark Barkin and uh, we're going to talk about all the hit songs that he's written plus I mean, he's going to share some stories behind some of the songwriters that he worked with in the Brill building uh, if you don't if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what the heck I'm talking about when I say the Brill building then you're in the right place because when I have him on the show it's going to be a really good introduction to the the Brill building and that whole scene in New York City in the 60s and uh, it's going to be really um, a good introduction to that because he was right in the thick of it. He was, you know, he knew all those songwriters that worked in that building, and it's going to be great. And uh, you know, so you should definitely keep your eyes and ears peeled for that episode. Um, it should be episode eighty. So what's going to happen is that this week I'll put out a two-parter. Part one will be this week, and part two will be next week, and then uh, then I'll put episode eighty. Then I'll take a week off for Thanksgiving, and then. After that, I'll put out maybe like two or three more episodes, and then we'll take a week off uh, for Christmas and New Year's. Then I'll call it a year for my podcast, and I'll be done for the rest of the year, and then I'll start back up new episodes uh, the week after New Year's. So um, that should be really good. So, um, yeah. So if you have any more questions or anything you want to ask me about uh, this guy I'm going to interview, um, please let me know, um, you know, because he's a very interesting guy, and I think you guys will thoroughly enjoy my interview with him. But well, let's get started on this week's song, shall we? Okay, so those of you who attended last week's 60 Tribute Show, you would have heard this song, but if you didn't, you what you're going to hear uh, is that this week I'm going to keep things R&B, you know, for, uh, you know, I'm going to keep it, you know, sort of in that uh, soul vein, you know, that black soul vein for uh, this uh, podcast episode, um, you know, because, uh, you know, what we're going to do this week for my podcast and next week, too, is that uh, in the past we have done deep dive into Chicago soul and we've even dug into some Motown as well. Uh, we haven't really talked too much about stacks yet, but we'll definitely do a deep dive into that, too. And we've also done a deep dive into the Muscle Shoals sound, which is a whole other aspect within itself. But there's one area of soul so far that we really haven't talked about a whole lot yet. And it's mainly because, you know, this sort of genre of soul arm, black army soul music um, it got started at the very end of the 60s, and it really took off in the early 70s. But the origins of it are in the 60s, so we're, it definitely counts as something that we can definitely talk about. And uh, that area of soul is called the Philly soul. Now, Philly soul was a genre that originally in Philadelphia, and uh, you know, even though it wasn't huge and it wasn't even like official until the early 70s. Uh, it definitely, um, the Philly soul sound, um, you know, can be traced back as far as 1965. And by the way, this, uh, this whole genre originated in the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But to get a better, get a better idea of the Philly sound and get a feel for what it was all about, I would say we're going to talk about the record that arguably kickstarted that whole movement in sound. 
And really, if you think about it, the song perfected it and defied that whole sound in genre, and it came out extremely early. And it would set the standard for what would be to come, what was to come with that whole style and genre in the early 70s. But anyways, this particular song is yet another juicy and intelligently written song from the 60s that is so harmonically rich and tasteful that it sounds so northern soul and so far away from the grit and the basic harmony of southern soul. But really, the song is also interestingly lyrically because it puts a basic spin on a very cliche topic that has been done over and over and over again in popular music. But man, this record still sounds incredible to this day. This song came out in late, very, very late in December 1967 and early January of 1968. It's by a group called the Delphonics. It's called La 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 means I love you. Wow. Damn. That record sounds fucking sweet. Oh my God. It sounds amazing. It is one of the coolest sounding R&B records to come out of the 60s. And uh, today we're going to do a deep dive on what makes this record sound so great, both musically and lyrically. But as usual, let's talk about the music first. Okay, so... Before we get to the song's very sophisticated harmony and chord changes, um, let's talk about the song's arrangement because there is one specific thing that is so cool about this song is the arrangement. I mean, the drum part is just phenomenal. The bass line is just really, really cool. I mean, everything about it, the bass line is so sparse where you can kind of see how the, the bass player just didn't really play anything too busy or too um you know that was that was filled with too many notes he just he stuck with his choice of notes was very tasteful and you know the guitar players just added you know kind of did kind of they did their own little licks here and there and then the piano player hold down the fort as far as the harmony was concerned but man that drummer he just fell in that pocket so much and you know, and you can tell that when they were recording the song, the rhythm section was just really trying their best to sort of contain themselves to the point where they weren't going to get too crazy or too out of control. But they they really wanted to make sure that you know when they were playing the song, they were going to let the song breathe, and they were just going to sit back and just fall into that pocket and just play the song and not try to do anything that overpowers anything else. And what I mean by that is that. If there's one specific instrument in this entire song that drives the whole train as far as rhythm and texture, trust me, it's not the rhythm section. It's the strings. Literally, the strings might as well be a lead instrument in the song as the second instrument. They're literally the second instrument here in this track because literally the song opens up with the drums and the strings and then everything else kind of comes after that. And that drum fill, by the way, is just incredible. It almost kind of sounds a little bit like Motown, but not quite there yet. And what I, want, what I want you to take notice how when the strings come in, the band doesn't do any intricate fills or tasty licks as they would like to. I mean, they do in a couple parts of the song, but 
They were smart enough to do this because they knew that the strings would be front and center and the vocals would be too. And they knew that they basically had to sit back and play the chords of the song and just let the strings and the backup harmonies take over, you know, because this song is all about that. But really, I mean, just by listening to the strings, you can almost imagine a vocal lyric being added to the melody they're playing. And the drummer does some really, really tasty fills in the song, especially at the end of the second chorus and at the end of uh, the the second verse. I mean, it's just, that drummer is just, he sounds incredible. I mean, I mean, literally, you know, he's front and center, but again, he's just not trying to like, you know, overpower. He's anything else. He's not playing a really hard-hitting groove. He's just really just falling into that pocket. But man, does he sound good. Um, you, you know, it's funny because he doesn't do anything crazy or off the wall to the point where you can't listen to the song's lyric and melody and you're too distracted with the song's band. I mean, he just does exactly what... He plays the right amount of notes and the right kind of notes to play in the song. And it's just the perfect amount, nothing too much, nothing too, you know, insanely, like, you know, solos are over the place. But anyways... um. The string players on the song are just phenomenal because whoever plays strings on the song super good. The violin players are really killing it in this track because a lot of people don't realize how hard it is to play violin. I mean, it can take a very long time to get a decent sound out of playing a string, uh, that kind of a string instrument like that. And whoever played the violins of the song really had their shit together because those violins sound incredible and just the icing on the cake for such a great song. And, um, for the song's bridge, the strings instantly become the star of the show. But in reality, for this particular song, they are front and center from the first couple of seconds of the song to the song's fade. And the outro. And also, let's talk about the song's chord progression. Um, because this is, again, this is probably the most interesting aspect of this song. Because, you know, um, some R&B songs from the 60s, especially with quite a few Motown songs and even some Stax songs too. Um, some of them kind of had just like basic bitch chord changes, you know, like one, four, five or one, five, six, two, four, five, you know, just normal average everyday chord changes. But this particular song uses some of the most intelligent, some of the most, you know, sophisticated chord changes and again it goes back to the major seven and minor seven chords i mean they're all over the place in the song and you know and uh, and now granted as you as you should all know by now i'm a sucker for any r&b pop song with major and minor seven chords in it i mean look at al green i mean he's from the 70s but i love his music too and uh you know also one really tasteful and interesting chord that they use in the song is the ninth sus four chord I mean, that chord, you know, they use it at the end of each, they use it at the end of the of the, of the intro, they use it at the end of, you know, uh, the pre-chorus going into the chorus where they go in from that 9 sus 4 chord to the major 3, and then they throw in that 6 minor. I mean, man, that's just, when they, when they use that chord, it sounds incredible. I mean, it's just literally one of the best sounding chords in music ever and it just sounds amazing in the song and uh you know um it's really it's really cool i mean damn do those types of chords make the song sound so incredible because when you listen to it you know that you're listening to something that was written by a very intelligent writer who has had extensive training in music theory 
And uh, because if he didn't, I'm pretty sure the song would have been somewhat of a basic bitch song as far as the chord correction was concerned. Because how else would he have been aware of those gorgeous major seven and minor seven chords? I mean, I really he really must have had great piano and harmony and, and theory uh, lessons. You know, when he was young, he must have had a fantastic teacher that just really showed him the ropes and all that in that one very specific area. And also, I wanted to say that again. Another reason as to why I love this song is because it utilizes all my favorite chords. And by the way, it just when I, whenever I hear a song like this, I'm like, oh my god, the song's amazing. Like, you know, I mean, it's just I feel like you know songs that have these kind of chords. You know, I mean, for me, I just I mean, it does it's hard for me to dislike it. You know, um, you know, and also a lot of times I wish more songwriters wrote songs like like this one like today you know in 2019 because i feel like too many pop writers today tend to focus on minor key songs with regular triads but man if i turn on top 40 radio right now in 2019 i heard this song and heard a song like this right now in this day and age man i would be incredibly stoked but you know i mean styles and chord changes have changed you know are different now i mean People weren't, you know, while this is a common thing to do back then, people were really, really do, people aren't really doing this, doing much uh, songs like this today. But I'd definitely be happy if this style and genre kind of came back and it became mainstream again. But one thing that to remember is that everything kind of comes in cycles. So certain genres and styles that become unpopular can easily become popular again. And also, I love that key change in the bridge. I mean, it goes and it goes to probably the most unexpected chord that any pop song could go to after the song goes through its structural cycle. After uh, the verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus. After the second chorus, it basically goes from that one root chord, that G major seven, and it modulates up a half step to where it goes to a minor third chord which in this case it's a flat minor seven and you know it's so cool is that you know the minor third chord it's uh, it's got that seven in the bass and now here is the part of the song where you honestly have no idea exactly where it's going to go because you know it comes in with an a flat minor seven chord but when you listen to it it sounds like it either could go to e major or a major because after a flat minor seven chord it goes to a major seven so like wait a minute where where is this song going but then honestly after you hear those two chords you're like okay where, where I, don't, I don't know i'm lost i can't i, I don't know where this song is gonna go but then the most epic fucking thing happens ever after you hear those two chords repeated twice um after those you know after the after you hear those chords right the song goes back to the pre-chorus in A major. It just modulates up a whole step. And then they hold on to that. And the most, probably the best part of the song is when they go back to that second pre-chorus, right? And then they just hang on to that E9 sus4 chord for just a little bit longer to build that extra suspense. And then, bam, they go get right back to the chorus, you know, and the, and the song goes in the stratosphere as it vamps that last chorus. You know, in the new key, A major, modulating up a whole step from G. I mean, man, that song, that, let me tell you something. When I hear that, that song, that sounds so epic. It just sounds incredible. It's just amazing. I mean, I love it when they when the songs do changes like that. 
you know, because when a song does a change like that, it's almost like you're watching a really good movie where there's one part of the movie where you don't know exactly uh, where it's going to go, but then it does this nice conflict resolution in the end, and you're like, yes, and then the movie ends happily. You can go home feeling satisfied and fulfilled that the movie ended the way you wanted it to end, but really... That's that's what it's like listening to the song, like listening to that, you know, that 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 one part of the movie where there's like a there's like a climax going on. You don't know where it's going to happen. And then it resolves back to the pre-chorus and chorus. It, it kind of feels like that a lot. And, uh, you know, it's also when you listen to the song, again, it feels like a movie because by the end, you kind of wish you can go on for a little bit longer. But then it just ends. You know, and I'm sure you felt that same way when you watched a movie that you really liked. I'm sure you were like, damn, it really just ended. I wanted to continue for a little bit more. You know, but anyways, but really, another thing that makes this song so interesting is how much it's influenced by New York Soul, even though it wasn't written or recorded in that city at, at all. I mean, when I listen to the song like like this one, uh, when I and when I pay attention to the chords being used in this track, I instantly think of both Carol King and Burt Backrack, but definitely more Carol King than Burt Backrack because it feels like the choices of chords that the songwriter is using are the same kind of chords the song those two songwriters use when they wrote the music to their songs. And since the city the song was written and recorded, it was literally a hop, skipping and jumping away from New York City. It was really close, and it still is, by the way. It doesn't surprise me that the influence of those New York writers is felt with a song like this, but. The kind of record that was made for this particular song was very much unlike the soul music that was coming out of New York and even Detroit and Chicago in the late 60s when the song came out. But it wasn't long before those cities would adapt this brand new sort of Philly soul sound that was coming out of Philadelphia at this time that originated in the city the song was written and recorded, which is Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, and in the next decade you know, in the early 70s. But we'll get into that more in part two of this two-part episode of this podcast. Moving on, let's talk about the song's lyrics because one thing I love about the song is that, yes, it is a very cliche love song, but the kind of words he is using to describe his love to his girl really put a twist on the traditional love song. And really, if you think about it, he's using a non-lyrical melodic phrase, and so he really has no words to describe the love to his to his girl and which is accurate if you really love in love with somebody wholeheartedly a lot of times you can't really put into words how much you love this person also i love how in the first verse he describes how many other dudes tried to impress this girl that he's interested in and she turned them all down because whatever whatever they say to her he was meaningless and uh he also talks about he doesn't really have any diamond ring, which could be an honest portrayal of his financial situation and how he doesn't have a specific song to sing to her, you know, let her know how much he loves her, except for this little non-lyrical melodic phrase, which is la 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 la, means I love you. And uh, now the reason why this is so clever is because how many writers can you think of you as a non-lyrical melodic phrase to describe an emotion to somebody? I mean, probably not a whole lot. And yes, there were songs back then that did use non-lyrical melodic phrases like do wa diddy but they mainly just use them as hooks. But in this song, he's using this wordless phrase, this, this song, to describe his human emotions to his girl. Now, the one thing that we don't necessarily know in this song, because there isn't another bridge with more lyrics other than the two verses and the two pre-choruses, and the one course is if the girl feels the same way about him. And honestly, 
as I mentioned before in my other podcast episodes I, I've done, this open ended open ended songs like this is one one is 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 an instance where a female songwriter could write an answer song on this record. Maybe she would also use another non lyrical melodic phrase to express her emotions to this guy. Uh, you know, which is na 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 means I love you too, or something like that. You know, where he, he she uses non lyrical melodic phrase to express her emotions towards the guy, and uh, it could go the and it also could it could be like I love you too, or it could go the other way, and she could say that she actually doesn't return the same feelings for him, you know, that he has for this girl. But still, that door is definitely still open. But I'm not sure. If you know somebody would write an answer song to this song, they because I'm sure a lot of people my age don't know it, and also I def I'm not sure if it would sound even remotely close to the same as this song, unless somebody else wanted to keep that Philly sound with the answer song in this record or not. I mean, it all depends on what they want to do, you know. So that includes part one of episode number seventy-eight of my sexy music podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you like my analysis on this week's song, and you thought it was interesting, you thought it was cool, and you've never heard this song before ever, and you listen to it for the, for the very first time through me, uh, please email me at samltwilliaicloud.com, you know, and if you're a millennial and you never heard a song like this before ever, um, you can also uh, reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies, and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. Now, um, as per usual, with uh, the, at the end of every episode, I'm going to tell you guys exactly what you can check out. A couple of things that I do along with this podcast that go along with it, you can check out. One of them is is in the description of this episode of this podcast, and that is the Spotify playlist for this podcast. There you'll find all the songs I've talked about on my show so far, including some uh, songs I've mentioned in interview episodes of the show. We'd love it. You can go check that out. If you're on Spotify, please go listen to that. Um, cause then you'll find all the songs I've talked about on my show so far. You can kind of get a feel for what kind of music I talk about on my show. Um, you know, so that'd be awesome if you can do that. Um, and if you, ha- and that, and that gives you any ideas for any kind of songs I should cover next on my podcast that I haven't yet. Um, you can email those to me at samltwilliaicloud.com or you can send them in the message on Instagram at iheartoldies. And uh, basically it's spelled out like iheartradio except with oldies in the title. So so it's iheart and then O-L-D-I-E-S. So iheartradio with oldies in the title. Not the heart emoji, but the actual spelling of heart. Uh, but yeah, so also... Um, if you're not on Spotify and you still want to hear all the songs I've talked about on my show so far, you can also check out the official YouTube playlist for this podcast. There, it's basically the same thing as the as the uh, the playlist for my Spotify, uh, you know, users um, or listeners for this podcast. Except it's on YouTube if you don't have Spotify. Um, there, you'll find all the songs I've talked about on my show so far. And again. If you ch- if you checked it out on YouTube, the playlist I have for this podcast, and that's also in the description of this episode of this podcast, and y- and it gives you any ideas for any songs I should cover next, you can please email me those ideas at samltwilliaicloud.com, or you can or email them or reach uh, DM me on Instagram with your ideas too. And also, um, um, one other cool thing you can check out that's in the description of this episode of this podcast is the official. Red Bubble merch store for this podcast. There you'll find the super cool logo that I personally designed myself. 
of um you know uh, well actually i didn't design it but i came up with the idea for it and i had someone else design it it's really cool um it's basically uh the catchphrase i say at the end of every episode to keep on trucking tie-dye font with the name of my podcast at the bottom so there's a bunch of really cool items on there i'd appreciate if you can go check it out and maybe purchase an item from there that'd be so awesome i'd really really appreciate that um, but if you don't want to purchase anything, you can always, I would appreciate any kind of feedback you can give me on the store. Um, you can email that feedback to me at samltwilliaicloud.com or you can reach out to me on Instagram at iheroldies. So yeah, so that's that. I would really appreciate any kind of feedback I could get on the store. This includes what do you think of the logo and plus what, uh, how reasonable the prices in are for each item in the store. So yeah, that'd be really cool. Don't forget to leave me a review in the uh, Apple Podcast app because the more reviews I get, the more my show gets pushed into a noteworthy section of iTunes. And also, don't forget, so next week will be part two of this two-part episode of this podcast. Then I'll have the interview with Mark Barkin. And, you know, then we're going to really dig deep into the history of the Brill Building and talk about the different writers that worked in that building and the musicians and the producers and arrangers and all that whole that whole scene in New York in the, in the late 50s and early 60s and in the mid-60s as well. But yeah, so we're going to talk about how it kind of went back and forth between New York and L.A. and, you know, what inspired the writers to write their hit songs and how that whole process worked from writing the song and recording the demo and having it recorded professionally. We're going to talk, we're going to get dive into all that. We're going to dive into the history behind some of the hit songs that he has written as well. It's going to be really good. Um, it'll be for episode 80, so not next week, but the week after, and then I'll take a week off for Thanksgiving, so... And then I'll just have put, put out three or four more episodes and then I'll just, you know, and then I'll just call it a year and take a week off for Christmas and New Year's. And then I'll be it for this year for this podcast. And then I'll I'll let you guys know kind of what's up, what's coming up next with this show anyways. But yeah, so um, I'm Sam Williams and uh, thank you for joining me uh, for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please keep things groovy. Really-